So today we are continuing our uh, series through the, the book of Galatians. Been in Galatians since we launched worship uh, back at Easter. And uh, you'll remember that, that Galatians has six chapters. The, the first two chapters are really dealing with the authority of the gospel. That, that is it, where did it come from? Does it have authority? And Paul says that it does because it's, it's not from him. It's not man-made. It's God-made. Um, it is from Jesus Christ. And then chapters three and four, Paul is, is dealing with the, the nature of the gospel. What is it actually to, to be freed from, from sin through um, Christ's work? And so he, he unpacks that for us. And, and today we are at the, the end of chapter four, and we, we are so wrapping up that second section. And next week we'll still be sort of transitioning. Paul doesn't go straight to the next one. But then what we're moving towards is where Paul's about to turn from not just the gospel, is it authoritative, is it, what is it, but then does it actually make a difference for day-to-day -day life? So uh, five and six are really just working out the implications of how ought we to live in light of this incredible good news that Christ has uh, purchased for us. So again, if you have your Bible, um, this is on page 974 in, in your pew Bibles, and we'll begin in verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one, who does not bear, break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has no husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the, of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This is God's holy word. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you that your word is, is holy, that it's, it's true. Lord, we, we thank you that you are our God, the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you have wisdom and, and knowledge and revelation. But Lord, we, we can't know you unless you make yourself known to us. Lord, we don't have the, the ladder ourselves that we can climb up to, to know who you are, what you've done for us, Lord, but you, you bring that down to us in your word. And 
we pray that your spirit would guide us and give us the ability to, to know and see and understand. And so we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. So as I mentioned, uh, the broad outline of, of Galatians, but also uh, we, over the last two weeks, you, if you've been here, you've seen this theme that Paul's been repeating between slavery and freedom. And, and so he, he keeps coming back to this. So, so two, two weeks ago, he talked about the fact that we were slaves, enslaved to what he called the elementary principles of the world, uh, but that, that Christ, out of his, his love and mercy, took on a human nature to rescue us from slavery, to uh, save us so that we could be adopted into God's family, so that we can receive the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. But then last week, we talked then about how, according to Paul, we are so prone, even after tasting and experiencing freedom, to just want to go back to slavery, that that's, that's what we we do. And so today in the passage that you've just heard read, Paul is, is continuing this, this theme of freedom versus slavery. And if you were to, there's a, a lot in that passage, and we'll, we'll get to that, uh, but if you were to trace just his flow of thought, or where is, within all of the detail here, where does he arrive at his kind of main, main point? It's really at the very, very end. Um, at verse 31, he says, so, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So, so Paul here is saying that, that we have been free, that we, we are, are children of freedom, and that Christ's purpose, that he freed us for freedom, that he didn't free us so that we can just go right back to slavery immediately. And then because of that, flowing out of that, he says, therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Live into the reality of who you are in Christ. And this is actually very similar to what, what Jesus talks about in the, in the Gospel of, of John. And so if you even turn in your Bible uh, back a, a few books to uh, John chapter 8, this is one of the four biographies of, of Jesus, and look at, at verse 31. Jesus, it says in verse 31, John 8, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So you see there exactly what Paul is talking about in our passage, right? This, this freedom that we can have in Christ. And, and Jesus is saying that we don't experience this freedom through good deeds, through following some kind of religious ceremony, or through the, the law of the Old Testament. But he, he's saying if you want to experience the fullness of the freedom, we, that comes through abiding in Christ. That He says, abide in me, and you will be free. And that means admitting we can't do it, trusting in, in Christ alone. But then look at verse 33. The, the crowd responds to this, and it's an interesting response. They said to him, We are offspring of Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? 
And so they're a little bit offended by, by what Jesus is saying here. And, and they're, they're, they're saying, hey, we're, we're the, the chosen people. We're, we're the ones who are descended from Abraham, you know, in, in God's covenant that we have an incredible religious pedigree. And so, so who are you to say then you will be free if we're already free? That you can't free somebody who wasn't in slavery to begin with. And I, and I think that even though we wouldn't think about it in those exact terms, that we sometimes have a similar kind of feeling of, you know, Jesus comes and says, you will be free if you abide in me. And, and we think, well, I don't know if I really, I think I am free. I was born in America, the, the home of the free. Um, I, maybe you say, I grew up in church. I have always believed I come from a, a good family, that we think of ourselves as free. And so can Jesus actually free somebody who, who's not in slavery. And then look at how Jesus responds to that in verse 34. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So you can see what Jesus is saying there, that you want to know if you are a, a slave? Do you ever sin? <laughs> and if you ever sin, you, that's where you're, our starting place is, is a slave to, to sin. If we, if we fail to, to love God, to, to love others perfectly, to obey his standards, that, that enslaves us. We're controlled by that, and we're not free. But Jesus says, but I can, I can make you free. For freedom, I have, have set you free. So if you, if you then you know, keep, keep this um, in mind and, and flip back to, to Galatians chapter 4, the, the false teachers called the, the Judaizers and who are troubling the Galatian church, the whole reason Paul's writing this letter, were most likely saying something very similar to what the crowd was saying to Jesus. That Paul's saying, has been talking about freedom, that Christ will free you from bondage and you, you'll experience life and joy and freedom in him. And, and their response is, we're children of Abraham. We, we've been free from the very beginning. We, we are the, the chosen religious people, and, and, and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you can say you will be free? And so really, our entire passage that I read is addressing this, this question. This is what he, the question that he's trying to confront among the Galatians. But that also presents a little bit of a difficulty for us sitting here in, in Garnet Valley to, to make sense of this, because most of us didn't come with that exact question or that exa exact objection to Paul's message. Um, probably very few here have said, well, I'm, I'm descended from Abraham. I have great spiritual privileges. And so at first, Paul's argument can seem perhaps maybe um, irrelevant to us or something that we want to pass over quickly. But also, not only does the question that he's answering sometimes feel like it doesn't relate to us, uh, as I was looking at several commentaries on this, several of them said, this is the hardest passage in the New Testament, um, or the most difficult to understand and, and interpret, um, and then certainly in the, in the book of Galatians. And I don't know if that's true. I think that there are passages that are more difficult, potentially. Uh, but, but probably even as I read, you know, he, he's, he has a lot of information here. And so Again, we're tempted to pass by it quickly, to, to not really pay attention to what's going on. 
And I, and I think that that's understandable because so often we are really hungry for practical day-to-day -day instruction. And that's a good thing because you've potentially had a really tough week. You, you're, you're going through difficulties in your life. You're, you're concerned about your, your children or your friends or your, your family. You, you're struggling with depression or addiction or some sin pattern, and you're thinking, that's really what I want to look at today in church, not, okay, if I'm descended from Abraham, does that mean that I have special privileges? But I think that as we, as we walk through this section by section, that what, what you'll see is that it actually does have really profound relevance for us, uh, even here today, but it takes a little bit of work to kind of dig out what, what's here. And, and I think that you can think about it kind of like a, a medical student. I've never been to medical school, but I can imagine that somebody who's studying anatomy, you know, introductory anatomy, and you're memorizing all of the, the terms, they're thinking, oh, this is just a lot of Latin terminology. This is not relevant, uh, and it, it's tedious. Uh, but then when, it, when they start doing surgery, and they need to know, okay, what am I supposed to cut here? Now, knowing what they're cutting is going to be really important. It becomes extremely relevant, even though it didn't feel that way. Or, or mathematics doesn't always seem relevant to a, a student in undergrad or, or high school. But then if you're a rocket scientist and you're trying to put a satellite into orbit, suddenly it becomes an extremely relevant, practical thing. And it's the same thing here today that that there, there's a lot here for us, but it, it takes time, it takes patience, which is hard in, I think, a culture of fast-paced television and 140-character tweets uh, for us to, to mine out. So let's, with that in mind, that was a long introduction, <laughs> uh, well, let's, let's dive into to walking through the, the passage. And, and really, just to, to, to break it up, Paul even naturally has this in, in three sections for us. Um, that, are, that are just very clear as you, as you read it. Um, and so what he's saying, you know, main point, don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. And the reason for that is first because of historical realities. That's verse 21 to 23. And then he takes those historical realities and he says behind these historical realities there are spiritual realities. And so that's the, the second section, spiritual realities, 24 to 27. And then he takes these spiritual realities rooted in historical realities and says that this has really practical significance. So there are then practical realities that he shows us in verse 28 to the chapter 5, verse 1. So that just gives you a sense of where he's going. Historical realities to spiritual realities to practical realities So as we, as we trace through. So we'll begin with the historical realities. We shouldn't submit to a yoke of slavery because of historical reality. Uh, look at verse 21, our, our first verse there. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, under the law, do you not listen to the law? So again, Jesus is talking to those people who want to re-enslave themselves. He says, you who want to be under the law, are you listening to the law? And then he, he has a little play on words here where Law in, in the Bible can mean the commandments of God very specifically, but also the first five books of the Bible were called the law, the law of Moses, the books of Moses. So he says, have you listened to the first book of the law, the book of Genesis? And, and so he, he then builds on the story of Abraham 
of Isaac, of Sarah, and Hagar. Um, now, this again is where it can be a little bit hard for us because most of us don't know the Old Testament that well. That's another thing that makes this passage difficult. Is Paul's a, he's talking to people who know the Old Testament way better than any of us would ever know it. <laughs> uh, and, and so he's, he's assuming a lot of background knowledge for people. But when we just dive into it out of context, it's, it's difficult. Um, and so just kind of stepping back for a second then to give you the, the, the historical background, the historical realities of what Paul's, Paul's talking about here is the, the two women and Abraham. You'll, you'll remember Abraham, the great father of, of Judaism, Christianity, Islam, was from Mesopotamia, the, the city of Ur and what is now modern-day Iraq. And he married a, a woman named Sarah. And they both started off as with different names, Abram and Sarai became Abraham and Sarah. But, uh, so God, though, came to Abraham while he was in that land and, and made a, a covenant promise with them and a series of promises. He promised that, that he would bless them, that, that through, through Abraham also all of the nations would be blessed. And, and he, he promised that he would take Abraham's offspring and that they would become a, a great nation and that through his offspring, um, they, that they would grow and that they would become as the stars of heaven, that they would become as the, the sands of the sea, so innumerable that nobody could even begin to, to count. And, I mean, incredible promise. And then he added to that the land, said, I'm going to give you the, the land of Canaan as your inheritance. And so he led Abraham and Sarah out of Ur of the Chaldeans to the promised land as, as they were walking by faith in the promises of God. It's a scary thing to do, to walk out just trusting that God is faithful. But then, as they, they got to the promised land, they're sojourning where, where God was telling them to go, uh, it, it seemed like God's promise just wasn't going to happen. And, I mean, I, I know that even in, in Hope with Hope Church. I mean, especially early on when we were building a team, there's moments of, wait, is God going to, is he going to show up here? That, but that's how they felt because Sarah was unable to have children. Um, very painful for her, and especially in that, in that culture. And, and so it went on and on. And so how in the world is Abraham going to become the father of many nations? And his offspring are going to be the stars of the heaven. And he doesn't even ha have one child. Uh, and then his, they got up in years. Uh, Sarah was about 80. Abraham was pushing 100. And it seems like this is... God's promises are not coming, that according to all human reckoning, it's impossible. And so I think as we would also do in their situation, they decided, let's take matters into our own hands. And so they concocted an idea, and it was really Sarah's idea. Uh, that, and and it, the background of it is, is part of their culture, because in, in that ancient Near Eastern Mesopotamian culture, marriage was viewed not so much for companionship, but really for securing offspring and children. And so if a, if a wife couldn't do that, um, that she had a responsibility culturally to some way get children for her husband. And the way that that was done, and very foreign to us, is, is that if there was a, a servant, that the, the mistress would give the servant to the husband, and that her children would then be counted as the mistress's children and would become the heirs, even though it's not coming biologically. And so that's what they, they did. And Abraham took a concubine named Hagar, 
who was a servant from Egypt. And so it's, you know, again, just kind of a disastrous thing to do. And so Hagar became pregnant, but then she, scripture says, looked on contempt to Sarah, and that's most likely because of her age, because of her barrenness, and so she was just treating Sarah harshly, and, and of course, Sarah then lashes back, goes to Abraham and says, this slave woman can't be here. Uh, and, and so Abraham gives her permission and said, no, you can treat her you know, not as a, as a wife, but again as a, as a servant. So Sarah begins to treat Hagar harshly. Uh, and so she says, okay, it's better off for me to not be here at all. She flees out into the desert, heading back in the direction of Egypt, maybe thinking I'm going to go back to my, my family in Egypt. But she gets out into the desert pregnant and is, it looks like she's going to die. And the Lord appears to her. And, and, and tells her, go back to Abraham and Sarah, and that I, I, I will work through your child. Your child will become a great nation. Not the heir of the promise, but I, I will be still be at work here. So she returned and, and gave birth to a son named Ishmael. And so Ishmael's born. But then soon after that, God finally <laughs> delivered on his promise to Abraham that, that Sarah conceived and bore a child, Isaac. And, and she was about 90 years old, which is just hard to imagine somebody giving birth at 90 years old. Abraham was about 100. This incredible, miraculous, that he, I mean, especially in the time without you know, modern medicine, I mean, it's impossible now. <laughs> um, and, and even more then, this, that God delivered that against human odds. But then, and, and for, the, for the next part of the story, actually, flip back to um, Genesis chapter 21, and this is what Paul's specifically quoting in our, our passage, uh, Genesis 21, uh, beginning in verse 8. And the child, talking about Isaac, grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that he was weaned. So Abraham calls his party. And, but Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. And even if you, my Bible has a, has a footnote that, that says laughing in mockery, um, that, that what, it's, what it's saying is not that he was just laughing and having a good time, but Ishmael is, is, is making fun, he's deriding, he's um, essentially being harsh towards Sarah, towards Isaac, and ultimately by extension laughing and, and, and mocking God's fulfillment of his covenant promises. And so, you know, once again, Sarah goes back to, to Abraham. Um, so, so look then at verse, verse 10. Or let's see, where am I? Misplaced my, my, my verse here, um, verse 8. Oh, wrong chapter. There we go. <laughs> um, so it was weaned. Um, but Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out the slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. So he's saying, okay, rightly, he doesn't want to send his son away. But then God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. So listen to Sarah, and then he gives the reason 
For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So God is going to fulfill the promise, not through Ishmael, but through Isaac. And he says, but I will, I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took the bread and skin and water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And so as they were then traveling in the desert again a second time, they were about to die, ran out of water, and God directed them to a, a well where they were able to, to drink. And, and God sustained them. Ishmael grew, was strengthened, and ended up becoming the, the father of the, the Arab people. And even to this day, Islam looks to Abraham as their spiritual father, but specifically through Ishmael, not through Isaac. And so that, that promise is, is, is borne out in just the, the reality of the, the world around us today. So, again, with, with this in mind, let's turn back to, uh, to Galatians chapter 4. So this is, this is what Paul is assuming you know when he, when he sa says verse 22 and 23. So, so look there, Galatians 4, 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave woman was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. And so what, what Paul is, is saying here, he, he's speaking to the false teachers who are, who are saying, hey, we're descended from Abraham. We have special spiritual status. And he's saying, you do remember that Abraham had two sons, that, that one son of Abraham was in slavery, remained in slavery, was not heir to the promise. The other son of Abraham was, was heir to the promise. So simply saying that you're a child of Abraham, that doesn't answer the question of whether you're in slavery or whether you're free. Because God said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And we saw a few weeks ago that offspring is Jesus Christ himself, the one who fulfills ultimately the promise to Abraham. So apparently then you can be a genetic offspring of Abraham without being part of the, the promise. You can be in slavery. So this is then the, the historical realities, the historical backdrop for, for what comes next. That Paul is saying, don't submit again to a yoke of slavery because of this reality. But then he moves from the historical realities to spiritual realities in our second section. Look at, at verse 24. Paul says, now this may be interpreted allegorically. Uh, and, and so he's talking this, this story, this true story of, of Abraham and his wives and, and children. And, and right there, if you, if you look at, he says, allegorically, he's saying that, that what we have here is a, is a spiritual lesson, that there's something that you need to see that this is, is teaching us that isn't just immediately apparent. And this can actually then make us a little bit nervous. And it's especially probably if you know much about history of how people have read the Bible throughout the ages. Uh, because in the, in the Middle Ages, people started reading the Bible, what was called allegorical interpretation, where basically they would take anything in the Bible and then they would use it as sort of a launch ground to talk about something that really wasn't in the text. It's, you didn't have to interpret it. You could sort of use it as a springboard to something else. Here are some examples from the Middle Ages of allegorical interpretation. 
the journey of Abraham to Ur, uh, from Ur to Haram, is interpreted as the imagery of a Stoic philosopher who leaves sensual understanding and arrives at the senses. Or the, the two pence given by the Good Samaritan to the innkeeper is the hidden meaning behind baptism and the Lord's Supper. Or uh, Pope Gregory the Great uh, interpreted the book of Job that the, the patriarchs, the, 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 the seven sons are the 12 apostles, the 7,000 sheep are God's faithful people, and the 3,000 humpback camels are the depraved Gentiles. <laughs> uh, and, and so, you know, we, we rightly will, will laugh at that and say, no, I don't think, that, I think he probably just had a lot of camels. I don't think that, that, that that's saying something profound about, about uh, the Gentiles. Um, and so there, there's, there's dangers here. And the, and the church rightly, especially in the Protestant Reformation, returned to the authority of Scripture said, no, when we, when we read the Bible, we want to read it in light of what it says, not read into the Bible what we want, but read out of the Bible what God wants us to see. And that's, an, that's always a danger to read into something rather than, than reading out of it. Uh, but, but what we're called to is to see what's actually there. And so some people would look at what Paul's doing and say, okay, he, say, he, he seems to be on this line here. Is he really reading Genesis according to what's actually there, or is he just importing kind of whatever he wants to talk about into the text? And really, he's not doing medieval allegorical interpretation, but what he's doing is he's taking threads that are there, and he's showing how these little threads string all the way forward to the work of Christ and to the work of the, the new covenant. Maybe we wouldn't see it totally there in that time, but the, the seeds are there. But then also, he's drawing a kind of analogy um, a, in a way that I even use analogies in preaching, or you know, any preacher will use, okay, here I'm going to draw an analogy to help you understand what I'm teaching. And so he's saying, I'm going to draw an analogy for you between what I've been teaching and what happened in this historical reality. And so let's walk through this. There, there are three spiritual realities that Paul shows. Um, so the first spiritual reality here is a contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And he says, these women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai. One is, is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. And so there, we, before we get confused, he's actually, again, it's, it's a fairly straightforward analogy that, that he, he's drawing for us. And, and what he's saying is that back in Genesis, God never intended the promise of Abraham to be fulfilled through Ishmael, that his, his purpose was always to have the promise come through Isaac, through, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So what he's doing is then he, he's coming over, over here to the reality of the New Testament, and he's saying that God's purpose in fulfilling the, the covenant promise to Abraham, it wasn't then through the law that he gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. That was never his purpose from the beginning. That all along, his purpose was to fulfill his promise to Abraham through Jesus Christ, through his life, death, and resurrection. So, so he's drawing this analogy. And the reason for that is that the law, it, just, it can expose our sin. It tells us what God's like, but it doesn't give us the power to follow it. But then there's a, a second spiritual reality that he illustrates here. And it's the, the contrast between freedom and slavery. Look at the second part of verse 25. Hagar, 
corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But Abraham, uh, but sorry, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has no, who, who, sorry, the one who has a husband. Um, so you, you see here um, this, this contrast between freedom and, and slavery. So again, there, he's saying Hagar is a descendant of Abraham, but she gave birth to a child who is in slavery. And then the new covenant, or sorry, rather the uh, covenant to uh, Moses at Sinai was given to offspring of Abraham, but gave birth to children who are in slavery. And, but then if you take Sarah, Sarah gave birth to a child who is free. And the new covenant gives birth to children who are free. So there's the, this, this parallel, this analogy that he's drawing. But then there's a, the third and final spiritual reality here. And it's also a contrast between what he calls the present Jerusalem, which is in slavery with her children, and then the Jerusalem above, which is free, and our mother in Christ. And so what, what Paul is getting at here is, is the fact that in Jewish thought, in Old Testament religion, Jerusalem is the center of worship. It's where the temple is. It's where you go to offer sacrifice. But that the reality of Christ's coming changed that, that he, he, Christ presented the one perfect final sacrifice. And so now when we worship, we, we don't go to Jerusalem. And he's saying that people who are still bound to Jerusalem for worship are like Hagar and Ishmael. They're still in slavery, even being descended from Abraham. But that those who, whose citizenship is above, who are looking to the heaven above where Christ is, that their identity is rooted there, they are free. They're, they're like Sarah and they're like Isaac, that they're, they're heirs to the incredible promises that, that God has given. So kind of to recap here, that the three, three spiritual realities, realities, the contrast between Old and New Covenant, slavery and freedom, present Jerusalem, and the Jerusalem above. Now, that's, that is a lot of technical stuff. So that, that's why part of the reason I, I started off with inter introducing this in the way that I did, that this is, this is not, not easy, um, and this really is the, the, the anatomy for the medical student. This is the, the mathematical equation for the rocket scientist who's, who's trying to make sense of this. But then thankfully, Paul doesn't just leave it here, that even in our text, he, he then moves it forward to say, how does this actually relate to us, from historical realities to spiritual realities to then practical realities? And we'll, we'll close with this, that these three practical realities that, that Paul draws out from this for us. Here's the first practical reality, that we shouldn't submit again to a yoke of slavery because we are children of freedom who are heirs of the promise. And look at, at verse 28. He says, now you, talking about you in Galatia, you brothers, you who are in Christ, he says, like Isaac, are children of promise. And then in verse 31 he says, So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. And so what he, he's there, he's speaking to us, that we're in Christ included in that, in that we, in that, that you, that he, he's saying that 
that we ourselves are, are part of the, the story, that, that we are people who have the covenant promises of Abraham, that, that we are people who are, who are growing up in the, the family of God, that, that he has made this incredible provision for us, and that, that we aren't children of slavery, that, that spiritually speaking, we don't have to head out into the desert on our own to try to seek some life, but we can stay in the, the house of God and remain free. And I think that that's what we do so often with our sin, is, is we're, we're ready to head out into the desert by ourselves, and we're going to run out of water. And scripture says we go to broken cisterns that don't hold water instead of drinking from the abundance that God has provided for us. And I think we wouldn't do that if we remember what, what Paul's saying here, that we're heirs of the, the promise, that we are, are, are children of freedom in Christ. Incredible. But then there's a second practical reality, that we shouldn't submit again to a yoke of slavery even in the face of persecution. Look at verse 29. He says, Just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. So he's saying, look back at the, the story of Abraham. Ishmael persecuted Sarah and Isaac. And maybe that seems like extreme language, but he's saying that, that he mocked, he, he jeered, he despised God's covenant promise, even as somebody who's descended from, from Abraham. And so then he turns that to the Galatians and said, Galatians, don't be surprised if you, as the, the, the true children of Israel, are being mocked and jeered by, by people who are genetically descended from Abraham. That's exactly what happened at the beginning, that, that we shouldn't be surprised by this. And it's the same for us as well, that, that it may come in different ways, may not be extreme persecution, but there'll be the, the, the laughing, the mocking, the jeering that comes from, from claiming uh, what we claim about Christ. And it could come from, from religious people who say, it's really based on what you do and kind of laugh that we might think that it's completely and utterly what God has done. Or maybe from an irreligious side of, oh, that's anti-intellectual. That's uh, just you're believing fables and laughing. And, and rather than giving into that and returning to, to slavery, he says, stand firm. But then here's the, the third practical reality, that we shouldn't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Rather, we should reject false teaching in all forms. That's verse 30. He says, but what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. And so he's saying, look back at the story of Abraham. That, that God told them, send the slave woman and her son away because they're going to essentially trample on the covenant. It's hard. And he's then speaking to the Gentile, to, to the Galatians, and saying, this is what you need to do as well with the false teachers who are trying to destroy the covenant, who are, who are trying to laugh at God's accomplishment of his work in Christ and the freedom that we have in Christ. He's saying, cast out the slave child with her son. And, and he doesn't mean by that that, that we, we don't love people or that he, we are called to love our enemies. But what, what he's saying then to us in that is, if people are trying to rob the freedom that we have in Christ, if they're denying what Christianity is about, that, that we shouldn't essentially put up with that in the church. That we shouldn't put up with that 
um, in, our, in our lives. We shouldn't listen because there's a lot at stake that we, we are called to freedom. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. But then finally, here's the, the final practical reality. We shouldn't submit again to a yoke of slavery because for freedom, Christ has set us free. And you see that in, in chapter 5, verse 1. And, and that I quoted that at the very beginning, that this is Paul's main point. And not just the main point of this passage, but the main point of everything that we've been saying for weeks, that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And so we should live that way. We should live into the reality of what he has done for us. So if you've experienced that freedom, if you know that, don't return to, to anything else. But also, this is where the, the, the gospel is especially good news because somebody might be here and be a, a child of, of slavery, be outside the, the covenant, be the, the child of, of Hagar. Um, and, and we could look at that and say, okay, it's just fatalistic. This is where you are. But, but what we have in the gospel is actually a call for the, for the slave to become free, for the, for the person who's under the old covenant to enter into the, to the new covenant, for the person who's clinging to the, to the old earthly Jerusalem to have an inheritance of the Jerusalem above. And the way that we take hold of that is not through what we do. It's not through some good deed, not through some ceremony. It is through admitting our slavery admitting what Jesus said all the way back in, in John, that, that if you commit sin, you are a slave to sin, and acknowledging that Jesus is the Lord of, of freedom, the one who says that if you abide in me, I will make you free indeed. And it is that, that freedom that, that we also see here in the Lord's Supper, that this, this meal is the, the, the sacrament of the new covenant, that we're not, this is not the, the old covenant. We're not making a sacrifice to God. We're not bringing animal sacrifice. And, and so this, is, this represents freedom. But also we don't come to this as, as slaves. We're not doing this to try to earn God's favor. But we're, we're doing this as a response, as, as children of God. But then, of course, also th this meal is not just about the, the earthly Jerusalem. It's not just about the, the here and now. We don't believe that, that Christ is bodily present here. That Christ is what Paul said, that the Jerusalem above, that, that is free and, and as our mother. That Christ right now, even as we're worshiping, is ruling and reigning at God's right hand. And that he promises that he will come again and judge the living and the dead. And it's with him that our identity is rooted. And so coming here together for this meal, we're saying that that's, that's who we are. And so we're not going to return again to a yoke of slavery, whatever that might be.